Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. Listen, man, we got a lot to get through. It's been a eventful, tumultuous, uh, big week in Indiana athletics. And where do you want to start? Well, thank the good Lord that we are powered by communitycars.com. That's right. Communitycars.com. Get you get you a car. Get you a car the way you want to get a car. Any which way you want to get yourself a car. Name away. Name away. Mm, in person. Why did it take that long to come up with just one because way? Because there's get a car? so many options. There's so many different ways that you can buy a car, and community cars can do all of them. Community nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> That's why they pay us the big bucks. Flawless. <laughs> Communitycars.com. Get your car going in in person. Do it online. Have a phone conversation. You want to go in and get your car that day? Go ahead. You want to order a car to your specifications and have them deliver it to your home no matter where you are, the way that I did in Los Angeles, which, by the way, I love my car. Oh, good I for you. I absolutely love oh, it. good for you. Well, no, we're in the middle of doing a, a sponsorship here. You oh, can't oh, be insulting oh, me no, talking about I'm just jealous. Car. I'm jealous that you got a community car and I didn't. Well, go buy one. Well, we'll see. We'll see how these sponsorship checks come in. uh yeah man and look we've talked about this before but if you're gonna buy a car which most of you are going to do at some point in the near future and you want your money to go to a company that has some attachment to indiana university this is a family that has been supportive of indiana university athletics for a long time they are absolutely part of the bloomington community they're huge supporters of nil opportunities for iu basketball players and more 
Uh, they've been a huge supporter of our podcast now as a sponsor, but just as a friend and supporter for for three years. So you, you know, give look them- if you're going to spend your money, put it into the hands of the people that that you know, are worthy of it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not just going to go into their Scrooge McDuck vault of cash. That money goes back out into the community. It goes back into the university and the basketball program and the NIL collective that you support so much. That this is this is about a family situation. And why wouldn't you purchase your car from a member of the Hoosier family? All right. So now let's get to it. Uh, let's start with this. Let's start with IU women's basketball. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not the ending we all wanted. No. But I refuse to be upset about it because of where Indiana basketball, Indiana women's basketball is in the grand scheme of college women's basketball, which is we are a premier program. We are back-to-back Sweet 16s, the first two Sweet 16s in the history of Indiana University women's basketball. We were ranked all of last year, all of this year, as high as top five in the country. Uh, We have nationally televised games a lot throughout the year. When the announcers talk about IU women's basketball, they talk about it like a premier basketball program. And it was really sad to see this group not achieve their ultimate dreams. That's the thing, because it's such a magical group, and there's no doubt that Coach Morin has built something that will sustain. Like, this is a program that's here to stay, but the sadness is saying goodbye to these women who have been so instrumental in getting it to this point, and they're such wonderful young ladies, and uh, it's just been such a joy to watch them play the game. I mean, to Allie Patberg, I mean, you know, finishing her 14th year of college. God bless her. Um, she's just everything that you, if you were blank sheet of paper, how to devise a student athlete, you know, and design one, you get Allie Patberg. I mean, you get a leader, you get someone who's dedicated to the game and her school and her teammates. You get somebody with good sportsmanship who plays the game the right way and and just does everything the way you would want it to be done and maximizes every ounce of potential that she has in her body. And and it's going to be really sad to see her go. I was really uh, happy, though it ended in a loss, just to see her have a really strong final performance. That felt good. Yeah, no, for sure. She she balled out. Uh, Nicole Cardano-Hillary is one of the most entertaining players that I have ever seen play basketball, um, men or women, period. The way that she gets after it and is relentless. Just she bulldog. is the energizer. She's a bulldog and the energizer bunny all in one. She's the yeah. energizer bulldog. Um, <laughs> she just causes havoc. And she did not get the national attention that she should have. She should have been a national defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, she disrupted every single offense that she went against. Every one of them. She disrupted, starting with the point guard, pressuring them full court, steals, deflections. And then on offense, just pushes and pushes and pushes. Just a wonderful, wonderful player. Uh, And then Alexa Goulbay, who is as steady as you can be. Just a rock. An absolute rock. And has been for this program for a while now. Uh, Has an inside game. Has an outside game. Just plays the game at an even keel. Is intense. Great teammate. Well-liked by her teammates. 
just a perfect teammate. And then Grace Wagner, who earned herself a scholarship opportunity after being a walk-on and was there whether they needed her in a couple minutes in the game to play tough defense and rebound or to just be on the sidelines and be the biggest supporter you could be. And one of these players that when she does come in and have an opportunity, just in total command of what she's supposed to be doing out there and never never shying away from, from the moment. Um, and it is, it's just like to see. And look, it's great that we have some players coming back that we do. Uh, and that's very exciting. But one needs to take a moment to appreciate, to thank, and also to to grieve the loss of these these foundational pieces to what we think is now just going to be a, a top 15 program in the country moving forward. Yeah, they've got some good recruits coming in. Obviously, Grace Berger, Mackenzie Holmes are, are the key pieces coming back. But so is Chloe Moore McNeil. And Chloe is yeah. going to be a star. I mean, she is butting into a star right now. She's got a three-point shot, which this team desperately needs. She's got athleticism that this team desperately needs. I think that's probably where this team needs to improve the most is athleticism and three-point shooting. I don't know about other sixth women coming off the bench around the Big Ten, but one would have to imagine she was as valuable as any first person coming off the bench in conference, if not in the nation. You know what's interesting? They call it sixth person on the women's side. Mm. Why? I don't know. Like we call it sixth man. Why isn't sixth woman? Just in case uh, they end up letting dudes play. Listen, now you're getting into political stuff. Now, now, like now, you're getting into a, a controversy. It look like I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, you're right. So, uh, hats off to an amazing season and an amazing era. Terry Morin, Coach Rhett, Coach Box, Coach Ash, Liz Honiger, the rest of them. Just an amazing, amazing group of people that we can't wait to see what's in store in the future. And to all the women that are leaving the program. Can't wait to see what's in store for them in their lives, too. We will support them, obviously, as we do. All right. Let's move on. How do you rank your top three favorite fruits? Banana, pineapple, apple. Do, do, now, do, um... Do dates count? Is that a fruit? Yes. That's a fruit. Yes. Okay, so now that's number one because I am obsessed with dates. I am with you. Dates, number one. Pineapple is better than banana. Pineapple yeah, is I, so I get that, but I'm also talking about how functional bananas are. Like they are it's such functional. a perfect snack, energy, the whole thing. It's, it's, it's just so pragmatic and tastes good if just at the right amount of ripeness. That's the problem. That's the, like pineapple, even when it's not perfectly ripe, is still great pineapple. Well, uh, cantaloupe cantaloupe has to be perfectly ripe too or it's not good enough yeah uh i'll give you dates i'm going pineapple strawberry or mango okay see i think uh like something like mango or certainly pineapple would be more right there but i'm also a lazy person i'm lazy so whether it be an apple or a banana or or pitted dates they're just so easy to eat you like you want me to get a knife out and start chopping something up oh mm. cutting a mango is so hard i look i only buy chopped fruit yeah yeah that's what that's i do a, that's the good way to go well this is obviously what people were tuning in for right um that's all right what i was let's... expecting you to ask me <laughs> let's let's get into it um dane fife so 
late last week, Dane Fife was let go for his from his position as an assistant coach at Indiana University. And it set off a firestorm, I think is fair to say, within the IU fan community. You and I did a Twitter spaces right after it happened. Yeah. Where I think from our perspective was the overwhelming emotion that we had was that the whole thing was just sad. Yeah. That we love Dane and Dane's a former Hoosier. And so many fans loved the way Dane represented Indiana as a player and has remained a fan of Indiana, even when he was coaching at a rival. And the way this all played out was extremely sad. And, and we are sad that it didn't work out. We are extremely sad for Dane and his family and his wife and kids like there's real human stuff that goes on now that's very difficult. So I'm extremely sad that that it didn't work out. That said, it did not work out. And that's the fact of the situation. I don't know exactly why. I don't know how. I don't know when. But it clearly, for a long time now, has not worked out. And that is a fact. That's not an opinion. And I say that because the fact of the matter is it only matters that it works out for one person, and that's the head coach. That's the boss. So if he says it isn't working out, the fact of the situation is it's not working out. And once you accept that fact, then the head coach has to do what he has to do to have a staff around him that does work out. And that's why it happened. And, and yes, there's details and stories and a lot of innuendo and rumors and buzz that I don't think you and I have any interest in getting into. No, Truthfully. not at all. Well, I mean, what I will say is that whatever circumstances were in terms of how Dane got the job, that even in situations where the head coach is solely responsible for hiring an assistant coach, it doesn't work out all the time, right. all the time. It doesn't work out and they come and they go and there's a very high turnover in this profession, but because we are arguably the craziest slash most knowledgeable fan base in the nation and this head coach and assistant coach were both one of our own. It made it all the more sensitive and volatile and precious and you know, I think when has there ever been this much fury? You know, let's just say just interest, just generally speaking, interest and uh, um, buzz around an assistant coach being let go after a season. It doesn't it doesn't happen if it's not for all these extreme circumstances. So on one thing, I think it just shows how much we care, how much we care about Dane, how much we care about what Coach Woodson wants and needs. And it is. It's just like, you're like, hey, we're one big happy family. Well, no, we're not. No family's just happy all the time where all the family members get together. And when it spans many generations and hundreds, if not thousands of members of that family... It's not all going to work out to have a very close, intimate working relationship. And Coach Woodson only gets three of these positions. And each one needs to be firing on all cylinders in exactly the way Coach Woodson needs. So it's too bad that it wasn't the right fit. Um, but now hopefully we've got 
three guys in there that are exactly what Coach Woody is looking for, and the result being the program is much healthier for it. Uh, I want to just say a couple more things on this because there was a lot of controversy surrounding this uh, about a few things. One is the statement that Indiana released because Mm -hmm. a lot of the firestorm was based on the statement. And I think you put it exactly right. Like nobody went up in arms when Ed Schilling didn't work out. Right. Right. Because Ed Schilling didn't play for Indiana and help lead us to the national title game. Mm -hmm. But you do have to separate yourself a little bit as a fan and go. There is no difference between Ed Schilling and Dane Fife when it comes to the staff of Indiana basketball. There is no difference. They both served the same exact role as assistant coach. So it didn't work out for Ed. We moved on and everybody was like, yeah, it didn't work out. Recruiting success wasn't there. Fit wasn't right. And nobody batted an eye. You do have to realize that the same metrics that went into deciding whether Ed Schilling was not a fit are the same that Woody was using to decide whether Dame was a fit. It is different emotionally. But as many have said, facts don't care about your emotions. Like, it's just the fact of the situation was it was not working out. But I want to, if I can, Ward, just read the statement again and then talk about it just for a moment. Sure. Uh, Here is the quote. From Coach Woodson, I am committed to doing what I believe is best for the continued growth of our men's basketball program as we collectively work toward returning it to the upper echelon of college basketball. Sometimes that commitment can result in some very difficult decisions, and that is the case today. Ultimately, I believe that the fit must be right with the coaching staff, and I've decided that a change is necessary. I appreciate everything Dane has done as a member of the staff during the last year and as a player for our program he will always be part of the Hoosier family and I wish him well in his future pursuits uh then it's a paragraph about how IU made the tournament so I said this on our Twitter spaces I'm going to say it again I am fully confident that if Dane Fife wanted the statement to be done in a different way i.e if he wanted it to read more like a resignation if he wanted it to read more like he was saying that it's just not working and we're parting ways, I'm fully confident that IU would have abided by that wish. I believe that this statement went out because Dane Fife chose to not go that route. Once that happens, once that person tells you they don't want that way, they're telling you, you have to own the firing. Like that's what you have to, well, then you have to own the firing. Like yeah. you are left no choice. You can't be mealy mouthed about it. And you as as the coach have to explain on some level why you're making the choice. Yep. Why are you making what Woody called a very difficult decision? Well, why is because he wants to get Indiana back to the upper echelon of college basketball. He thinks that the fit within a coaching staff is paramount to that goal. And this fit wasn't right. So he had to make a move. I mean, you can call it harsh if you want, but it's what it is. And if it's true and you accept that it could have gone a different way in how it was communicated, but that Dane chose not to accept that way, which is well within his prerogative, then everybody just back off. Like it's he then the statement is what it needed to be. Yeah, no, I I think you explained that perfectly. And if anybody has a problem with it, it's their problem. Like they're they're not grasping the entirety of the situation, the desires of all involved that you've mentioned. And I think a lot of people too, and this is getting away from the statement and more to the situation again of why it's so upsetting to people is, 
a lot of people had already mapped out our future for the next 25 years, which was Woody bringing us back to, to glory and then passing the crown over to Dane and then Dane spending the next, you know, couple of decades keeping us right there back where uh, the general got us and then coached both of them to, at least Dane, you know, for the first couple of years, that it was like, yes, finally, this is it. We've got we've got a succession plan in place. And when it all just kind of blows up in everybody's faces, people don't want to just let that go right away and move on. But I think it's really important that we do, that so much of the, the toxicity around the program and inside the program for the last 20 years has been really like a huge band-aid and a bunch of neosporin has gone on in the last couple years and we are on the mend and as a fan base we can't let a hiccup like this derail the narrative the public perception that the family is getting back together again and the family is healing and it's not an overnight thing and something like this yeah some some people are going to be hurt by it, but we need to say, you know what? We love Dane. We always will love Dane, but we love this program, and we've got to have Coach Woodson's back full speed ahead. This is what's right for the program. I, I'm totally with you. And that's not the only change that's come to this program in the last week or so, and that is, of course, the transfer portal is upon us. This is the new wave of college basketball. I want to touch on on some of the fallout, too, from our Jordan Geronimo interview last week. Okay. Um, but since our last podcast, Rob Finnessy, Michael Doerr, Christian Lander, and um, which is the one that I'm forgetting? Parker Stewart. Oh, yeah. Parker Stewart. Those four have entered the transfer portal. They are not coming back. Uh, they're gone from the program. You know, uh, I wish them well. I, I hope they all do well. We've gotten close to, to some of them. Uh, don't have as much of a relationship with Parker or Michael, but but Christian we built a little bit of a relationship with and, and certainly Rob and his family and love his mom. And Rob gave us four years and worked his ass off for four years. The bottom line is with all four guys, it didn't work out. I mean, that's the truth. It's like, it's, I hate being the, the broken record here, but it's the same thing with Dane. It just didn't work out. I well, mean- I I think like Rob it, less so, but the other yeah. three, the other three, it did not work out. Yeah. And, and that's okay. You know, they kind of came in, um, you know, either at the end of one era and or the beginning of another, where again, it's, it's establishing look like Archie never really found an identity with the program and coach Woodson's just in the, the first stages of that. And with Rob, yeah, I think it's, um, he's a Hoosier for life. You know, he's one of these guys he put in four years very difficult years. He he bridged this gap between the two eras. Um, he did have some wonderful moments. One in particular we will remember for the rest of our lives. Yes. And so I think that's one we can all feel, you know, really good about saying goodbye and good luck with whatever's next. Um, but, you know, look, we needed three people to go. We, that we had to get at least three of these guys out the door for the scholarships coming in. So, um, you know, yeah, you're it right. just, it's just feeling like, oh, this is a, a healthy and natural turnover that you're going to have to have year in and year out. Hopefully, you know, with this staff constantly refilling the coffers of high level talent, you know, there was a talent deficiency this year on this team. And, and it's time to start evening the playing field with other top programs.
There, there is absolutely a talent deficiency. I want to get into that based on the text that you and I went back and forth uh, on the other day. But um, yeah, and look, we probably need more than four. I mean, that's the truth. We, th- this team needs a talent upgrade. It doesn't mean we don't like the players that are here, but it needs a significant talent upgrade. We think it's coming incrementally with the three uh, players that are coming in. I mean, Jalen hood is clearly a top talent. It seems, and this is a little bit like uh, crimson colored glasses, but it seems like Caleb Banks is underranked. We don't know. I mean, right. but it seems like a six foot eight forward who can shoot around 40% from three and is super athletic uh, and played against really good competition in Atlanta should be ranked higher. And CJ Gunn, I mean, the year that he had just destroyed the competition. So, uh, you know, it seems like there is a talent upgrade coming, but we don't need a talent upgrade incrementally. We need a talent upgrade revolution. I mean, we really do to compete at the top level. Before I go into some numbers on that, I do want to touch on the Jordan Geronimo interview from last week. Okay. I think a lot of people were disappointed that he wasn't saying, I'm coming back, you know, and he seemed to love his coaches. He loves Bloomington. He loves his teammates. He he seemed very happy in all of the superlatives that he used in talking about the, the situation and the environment at Indiana. Then why aren't you just saying you're coming back? And the truth is because that's just not how it works anymore. And it's sad, but that is just not how it works. He has people around him and in his ear and people from other schools that are all over him, many of them that are closer to home for him, and he's very close to his family, that are guaranteeing him starting spots. That's what's happening right now. There are schools, maybe not to be mentioned, Maryland, Seton Hall, maybe others, that are guaranteeing him you're starting. And some of them are saying you're going to play the three here and not the four, which is music to the ears of you know, we all we talked about how every two thinks he's a one, every three thinks he's a two, every four thinks he's a three, and every five thinks he's positionless, you know, uh, stretch five. So that's happening to him and his people around him. And he listens to the people around him. He gets a voice in it too. But it's with the transfer portal being the way it is, and with a guy who has pro aspirations, this is the world that we're in. And it makes no sense to hold it against the kid or the school or the coaches. And these, these idea that like, if we lose Jordan Geronimo, that is an indictment on Woody. No, it's not. It's just, this is what it is. We want to keep him. Woody wants to keep him. Well, and, and it's look, it's each case is an individual, an individual person and situation. And and look, if we're just hemorrhaging players we really want to keep going forward, okay, then it's an issue. But any one player with family on the East Coast and everything you just alluded to, it's like, no, you can't you can't paint with a broad brush on something like this. You know, and it's it's same thing with Armand Franklin last year. It's like, okay, well, but we kept Trace Jackson Davis and like everybody else. So you kind of kind of keep your head and look at the big picture and realize no matter what, you're probably going to be losing a player to every year. It's just the attrition of the transfer portal age. Because and, and like you said, you can't promise ten guys that they're going to be starting. Well, you can, you can, but then you're going to lose them when they don't. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, exactly. That's yeah. the game. Right. That is the game. Yeah. So 
Um, and, and also, let's break down Jordan a little bit, because I think there's things at play that make his decision more complicated. If Race Thompson had already announced that he was leaving, I think Jordan Geronimo would already have announced that he was staying. Mm. If Trace Jackson Davis had announced he was leaving, it may have impacted Jordan, because then you probably slide Race to the five, you know, in our current makeup. Mm-hmm. Um they're recruiting this kid, Malik Renault, five-star talent from Florida, who's six foot eight and plays with his back to the basket, can face up a little bit, but he's a post player. All of that affects Jordan and the people around Jordan telling him, where are you getting your minutes? Mm-hmm. Like you're at the point now where you're about to be a junior. This is where you need the giant jump. And the giant jump doesn't come if you're not playing. Right. Where are you going to play at Indiana? And so I think they have to feel confident that there's a real path to big minutes. And if Trace and Race and Malik Renault show up, I don't know where that path is to big minutes for Jordan Geronimo. It's well, certainly tougher. It's certainly tougher. It's certainly tougher. He he did start getting like 20 minutes a game towards the end of the season and in tournament time. So I think that's probably one of the reasons why he is hanging around and still thinking about staying. But you know, we've always talked about the potential that Jordan has um, and that he's relatively green and raw and hasn't been playing basketball very long, certainly not at a, at a high level. And, you know, to me, I want to be like, well, you know, like Jordan seems to have this very high ceiling, maybe even compared to like a race, you know, is it something where one has enough self-confidence or has enough conversations to really believe, well, I can actually take those minutes away from one of the guys you're just saying, or, you know, we did see a pattern with say our starting lineup where there was a real adherence, a loyalty to seniors, upperclassmen, guys who'd been doing it already um, that would make one have pause and be like, gee, even if I earn it, even if maybe I'm better or have more potential, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be getting the minutes I should be. No, and let's be honest. The minutes, the games that you're talking about, which, by the way, like I looked at his minutes. I think he averaged 12 minutes a game for the season. His last eight games of the year, I think he averaged 14 and a half minutes. So, but, like, but besides, because he, you know, he had the injury and it was something like he had three out of four tournament games where he was at like 20 minutes. Okay. But again, that coincided exactly with Race Thompson being honest, just having a terrible end to the year. Like right. he, he but, but, forced his way out of the lineup as much as Jordan forced his way into the lineup. And yet he still started all those games. If it, all I'm saying is if you're Jordan and Jordan's people and race comes back, right. You were at least given pause to go. Well, he's going to start race again. How do we yeah. know? He started him every game last year. Yeah. You think he's going to come back for his sixth year of college and not start? Like, right. what do you think he's promising race? So, it just there's complicating factors to all the stuff with Jordan. And I think it's going to take a little time to play out because there's so many decisions from so many different people and this recruitment of Malik Renault. So I don't fault Jordan at all for taking his time on it. I get it. He's got to look out for himself and his future. And that's where we are. But it fits within the overall argument and the overall story of just where are we on talent? And I decided yesterday while watching, being upset, truthfully, at these teams that are going to be in the Final Four, Duke, Villanova, North Carolina, Kansas. I mean, it's four of the best, four of the best programs of the last 20 years. 
and really of of all time, Villanova. I mean, they won one in the eighties, right? So, yeah. so now they're entering into the conversation of like, well, okay, they've they've won multiple titles over many decades. They're well, right there. There's certainly a blue blood of the two thousands, you know, of modern basketball. Yeah, I mean that they're now arguably the best program in the country. Yes, exactly. I think Virginia was neck and neck with them for a little bit, but Virginia's fallen off a little, and Villanova has just continued to ascend. So I looked at, I wanted to just get some answers and look at some numbers. So I looked at this, the rosters of each of the final four teams and looked at the rankings coming out of high school of all of their players. Now, this is a little skewed for a couple reasons. One, this does not take into account the fact that some of the guys that are on these rosters are transfers, impact transfers that weren't ranked that highly coming out of high school, but over three and four years in college became stars. And then these schools got the pick of the litter when it came to transfers. So the perfect example of that, by the way, is um, Brady uh, Manick for North Carolina, who is now scoring like 20 points a game in the tournament, and he is one of their absolute stars. He was ranked 117th coming out of high school. So again, he wasn't a top recruit, but he was one of the top transfers, and they got him. Right. So just looking at how many top 75 recruits and how many top 100 recruits. Villanova, seven top 75, nine top 100. Duke, seven top 75, and those seven are their top 100. But that includes the number two ranked player, the 18th ranked player, the 23rd, 23rd, 28th. I mean, it's crazy. Kansas. Only five top 75. Again, this is where the caveat of transfers matter because, like, they're, the guy who's tearing it up for them, uh, Remy Martin, was a transfer from, I think, Arizona State, who's mm -hmm. the best player in the NCAA tournament. He was 84th coming out of high school, but he is now an absolute stud. Uh, but they have eight top 100 players. North Carolina, nine top 75 players, nine top 100, and that does not include Manic who is clearly a top player. And so you have, like, basically on each of those teams in the top 100, nine, eight, seven, nine. What and does Indiana how, have? How many do we have? Four. Four. And no one in the top 25. Okay? And one of those was Christian Lander. So, and, and by the way, sub 100, which I did not do, but Indiana has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine of our players are sub 100. Well, of course they are because four were top 100, but nine. <laughs> it's just not enough talent. And yes, numbers don't mean everything. I get that. Yeah, but, but they you, also don't lie. Yeah, that's the thing. Again, you could look at any one-off individual case and be like, this highly ranked player just totally shat the bed. This guy was off uh, everybody's radar and became a superstar. Great. Those are, are the exceptions. And if you're just mining the data of years and years and years, you know, for, we're all we're all now disciples of IU in Philly, right? Like we we need to have X number of top 80 players to just mathematically have a legitimate shot to be a top 15 program year in and year out. Unless you have like a once in a generation brilliant genius coach, which I, you know, I mean, it's like it, 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 there's there's just not more than a few of those guys breathing on Earth at any given point in time, um, and and 
I don't even know who you point to to say who that is right now because all these top coaches in the country, you just kind of mentioned them, and they have unbelievable talent. So, you know, how much is it they're really good in the room with parents, and how much is it they're great coaches? Because, like, it's clear. Coach Cal, Bill Self, they're not amazing basketball coaches, but they're continuously in the conversation because they're getting unbelievable talent. That That is it. Like, you need a good coach, but you need really good talent. And yes, there are teams like Loyola Chicago and Wisconsin on some level, although Wisconsin doesn't be Wisconsin. First of all, they lost early in the tournament this year. They won the Big Ten, but they also had Johnny Davis become the Victor Oladipo of this year. And Johnny Davis went from being a decent player to one of the best players in the country, you know, and probably a lot in a lottery pick. So they got really lucky with that. There are systems that work. But if you want to be a top team year in and year out and have a legitimate shot at the kind of success that we think Indiana can have, you need top talent. And you don't need – it's not one player a year. It's not one great player and a bunch of sub-100 guys. It is top 75, top 100 guys, top to bottom in your roster. And by the way, when I mention like nine guys, you have to remember like when you're recruiting the end of your bench – you are recruiting guys that you know are the end of your bench because you can't have 13 guys that are all good. Right. Because it just, they, they won't stay, right? Like what we talked about with the transfer. For sure. When you have nine guys in the top 100, that means your entire roster is top 100 guys. That's what that means. Yeah. And we aren't close to that. We are less than halfway there to that. So and I, I, yeah. I think. This is absolutely true for Indiana University men's basketball program. Now let's take a step back and look at the Big Ten Conference and how this, okay, it's what we have like most of the All-Americans this year and we get nine teams into the NCAA tournament and none of it means jack shit. Because it's all done within this echo chamber of the Big Ten where we're beating the hell out of each other and we have a few upperclassmen emerge to have really well-rounded games because they're 22 years old, (laughs) you know? And And then we step into the NCAA tournament when we're going against the real best talent, the talent that you could say this guy came out of nowhere, this guy fell off a cliff, but... Year in and year out now, the best players are not going to the Big Ten Conference. And year in and year out, the Big Ten Conference shits the bed in the tournament. And what has won one title since 1989? Is that right? I mean, I know because it's, it was we, Michigan. Michigan. It was State. Michigan in 89. And so, the only one that's won since then is Michigan State in 2000. Wow. I didn't think about that. One title in 30 years and zero titles in the last 20. You know, and you can say, oh, well, they get, you know, to the final four on a regular basis and stuff. Yeah, but they never win it, you know. And and when for some reason the whole country has tricked itself into believing our conference is, is so good and like several teams better than the other conference, I, I don't I don't get it. Like, I don't understand where that disconnect comes from of of these bruising teams with upperclassmen that just beat up on each other for 20 games, it clearly does not translate. And for for us as an individual program and for us as a conference to start hanging banners again, we need better players. We need better players and we need a better style of play. 
and the better style of play attracts better players. And and, 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 and one more thing, just this idea like, oh, we don't have great players, but we have great coaches in this conference based on what? <laughs> I mean, Matt Painter, suck it, pork chop. You blew yeah. it again. You shit the bed again. What, what was this year 25 for you? You know, like, I'm sorry. And you had a, a like a guy who was eight and a half feet tall and a lottery pick. You know, I mean, what the hell? No, I'm sorry. And great three point shooting. Yeah, no, they they that that is the best thing to come out of the tournament was them losing. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think you called it. It's like this echo chamber. And I also think that, you know, those metrics, the Ken Palms and the Bartorvics are so skewed by defensive efficiency. And everybody in the Big Ten, except for Nebraska, is good defensively because it's a shitty conference offensively. <laughs> yeah. So so everybody in the conference has good defensive numbers. Everybody. Well, that's in part because we play tackle basketball and you're playing against offensively challenged teams. And if these great coaches in the Big Ten were so great, then build a great offense. And I look, it is no surprise to me that the team that has done the best in the NCAA tournament the last two years are the Michigan Wolverines, yeah. who play a very different offense than most of the other teams. And by the way, Purdue, who I hate, Purdue's offense was their strength this year, not their defense. But they had inside. They had outside. They made it to the Sweet 16 and then, and then lost, thank God, yeah. uh, and as they do. But again, the Wisconsin, you know, Iowa has a, a high-powered offense, but they just don't have the talent. They just don't. Iowa had Keegan Murray and no one else. It goes back to the conversation, the advice Jeff Van Gundy espoused on this program. Recruit offense, teach defense, right? Because this is it. Like, great, great Jimmy and Joes on the talent end who can actually shoot a basket or dunk it on your head because of their overwhelming athleticism, they're just going to win the day, especially come tournament time when there is more freedom of movement and you can't rough them up. They're, they're, it's it's like it's where the NFL is too, right? Offense sells tickets. It gets eyeballs. And the leagues um, at large, looking at things nationally, they want points scored because they know that means more butts and seats, more eyes on the television, more dollars in their pocket. And the Big Ten doesn't doesn't provide that. No, and and it's clear why because they don't have the talent like that. So you mess up the game. Yeah, like yeah, that's you muddy you it up, muddy it up, and it's disgusting to watch. It's awful watching Big Ten basketball for the most part because it's such an ugly game. But the promise of Woody is that he brings a different style to the Big Ten, right? That. Mm-hmm. He brings a more wide-open, spaced-out NBA offense. And part of the frustration from this year for many of us fans was we didn't see that for the vast majority of the year. Started to get some signs of it at the end. There was a little bit more movement. There were more actions being run. We were a little more spaced out. There were more alley-oops from Xavier to Trace in the half court. It It certainly looked like we were getting some signs. But the promise of Woody is that we aren't going to be another version of Wisconsin, that we are going to be more of a modern basketball team. We will see, but it does start with talent. And we need an upgrade, and the people most responsible for that upgrade in talent are the assistant coaches. Nice, who are on the f- nice segue. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> who They are on the front lines of recruiting, and we know how it operates at Indiana. They're the ones who have to go out and get the talent. 
They present it to Woody. They decide who the priorities are and Woody closes. That's how this operation is being run. And there was a giant hole left in one of those slots this week with the announcement about Dane's future. And so there was for however long that lasted, what, 72 hours or so, a just avalanche of buzz on who that might be. And we got our answer just a few days ago. And I think there's no better way than to lead into our guest today. Mm, didn't quite nail that. God <laughs> damn it. I, look, the takeoff was awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The landing gear didn't come out. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little a little bit. We all kind of bounced around in the cabin as you hit we the tarmac. We bounced. He really had to pull the brakes. <laughs> there was a little skidding. Let's just get to the damn interview. Agreed. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we have a very special guest here today. Now, he had a brief cameo before, unexpected by both him and us, and it was a delight. But this, as my good friend Eric just said, this is a celebratory appearance on the show in one in which he is the star. Eric, tell him who we got today. Oh, this is a fun one to do. We get to do the proper intro. Hailing from, I think, maybe the greatest sounding city that we've ever had a guest hail from. Hailing from Moon Township, Pennsylvania. There you go. Where as a senior, he averaged 19.7 points, 7.6 rebounds, 2.5 assists. He was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Pennsylvania in 2008. He matriculated at Xavier for two years where he went to -to back-to-back Sweet 16s, transferred to Akron, was a two-time academic All-Mac, a 40.9% three-point shooter for his career, led the MAC in three-point percentage at 44.2% in league play. He was a captain as a senior. He was 2013 conference champs, went to the NCAA tournament, got his bachelor's degree in business administration and a master's degree in sports admin. From there, joined someone we're all very familiar with, Archie Miller and Tom Ostrom at Dayton. He was the underclassman recruiting, uh, in charge of underclassman recruiting and assisted in all aspects of the program. He was the director of the team camp. He spent three years at Dayton. He was the assistant director of basketball operations and grad assistant for two years there. They made three straight NCAA tournaments, back-to-back conference titles. And he also, while at Dayton, earned his master's degree in educational leadership. And then... With Archie, came to the greatest place in the world, Bloomington, Indiana, where he spent four years as director of basketball operations. Last year, he moved on when Coach Woodson came in and they retained his services and made him team and recruiting coordinator. And most recently, as of last week, got the big bump to full-time assistant coach at Indiana University. Please welcome the new father, yes. the new father, which is maybe the most important accomplishment with his lovely wife, Jessica. Please welcome to the podcast, Brian Walsh. Thank you, guys. That was quite the, quite the introduction. I'm sorry you had to read all that. <laughs> coach. Hey, coach. Coach, <laughs> let me ask you a question, coach. How good does it feel when people are calling you coach these days? You know what, man? It is a huge, huge blessing. Um, it's it's hard to believe. You know, I've I've told a lot of people uh, one year ago to the date that Woody asked 
to, you know, bump me up. Uh, you know, I was out of a job. I was unemployed. I was fine, filing for unemployment, sitting on the, the front steps of my house. Uh, very emotional this past year because I didn't have a job, feeling like I was a complete failure for my family. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> circle that one year in advance and, and to be here where I'm at. God is good, man. Um, so grateful for the opportunity to stay here and be with Coach Woodson. I couldn't be more excited. And uh, man, what a weekend for, for myself and my family. Well, let's start with the most important thing, which is your family. When was your daughter born? Oh, my God. The past three and a half weeks have been insane. She was little Isla Marie. That's the name of our daughter. She was born on Wednesday morning, uh, March 9th. Okay. And I actually ended up missing the Michigan game on the 10th. Uh, I was in the hospital. And I don't think I made many friends in that hospital because, you know, we were down quite a bit. Kind of going in the second half, <laughs> and these nurses kept coming in and checking in on us, and I was not having it. I was, you know, get out of here. This is not a good time. <laughs> um, but you know, then we we came on late and and uh, did what we did and had a heck of a Big Ten tournament, which led to the NCAA tournament. So it, it it's all been very very fast moving to say the least. I- I picture you as shooter in Hoosiers at the end. You're in the hospital cheering like crazy when Indiana's making the comeback. I was cussing. I was cheering. I was losing. I was losing my mind to the point where Jess was like, you you seriously have to calm down. (laughs) Your wife had just given birth and she's telling you to calm down. Uh, What's it like being a dad? Man, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, You know, now I'm responsible for another human. And that's a whole nother uh, responsibility for me. And it's, it's a feeling that I've never had before. And it's special, man. When she, when she sits right there on my chest, um, I've never experienced anything like it. So we're, we're having a, having a blast. I haven't slept a wink. Um, you could probably hear it in my voice. I'm a little uh, backed up and haven't been feeling too well, but it's been a, it's been a blessing, man. What's the best advice do you think you've gotten so far on being a new dad? Everyone that's reached out has just said, enjoy, enjoy this moment when she's so little, when she's so precious, just because, I mean, you've heard it a million times. It just goes by so fast. And, um, yeah, know, guess what? In a blink her of out, I'm like, not real, real happy about what's going on. Like, ah, I didn't sign up for this, but I'm trying to, you know, smile through it all and just really, really enjoy it. But just kind of just enjoying all the moments that, you know, have happened over the first three and a half weeks of her life. Yeah, because guess what? In the blink of an eye, they're 14 and an asshole and telling yeah, you that you're back. part you're part <laughs> right. of the problem with the whole world. Like right. that's that's what I get from my son right now. I'm part of the patriarchy that's uh, that's ruining the world. That's yeah, what we, you get at 14. Yeah, we had some uh, we had some of our extended family over this this weekend and they were saying the same thing. So right now she can't talk back and she depends on us big time. So we're we're loving it, man. She's been uh, she's been amazing. Just and a tough time, to, tough time to have her. She can't move though, right? Like that's I think that's what's brilliant about the way nature doles it out. At first, it's you know inside Jess there, you you can just start to get used to the idea, and then and then she comes out, but she can't move anywhere. She can't get away from you for like six eight months. So it just kind of doles out the difficulty 
just just at the, the 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 amount of time you need to keep up, right? So you'll never get overwhelmed. It's just as it's supposed to be. I'm learning as we go. I'm winging it every day. So if you guys have recommendations, throw them my way. But yeah, we're we're we're, the last we're, enjoy, we're enjoying it. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're figuring out as we go. There's no manual on it. Um, but you know, my my wife, she's a freaking rock star. Um, so have you have you learned how to swaddle? Are you a good swaddler? Yeah, I'm a tight swaddler. Yes, that's absolutely the key. zero arm movement. Yes. So, so yeah, I've I've learned that early. I was so oh go ahead. I was just gonna say I was so ill prepared for being a dad and and like you was just winging it. I mean, just no idea what's going on and probably wasn't mature enough to to handle it. But the one thing I thought I could do was I can swaddle. Like I'm gonna be better at swaddling than my wife. And so I I mean, I did this, I mean, tuck the arms. That thing yep. was a straight jacket. And I yep. felt so good every time that I would swaddle and they the baby would go down. And then the nap is over and I come back in to pick up the baby and the swaddle's still intact. I'm like, I'm a hero. I nailed <laughs> There's very it. very few things that I do better than Jess, but swaddling might be one. Yes, I love it. So, so I did I did learn that. I, I, I read a few books to try to get myself prepared, but I mean, like anything, you're never ready. No. This kind of happens. So it's almost anticlimactic after becoming a father, but I would like to know how you found out you were being promoted to assistant coach. What was the conversation? What did it feel like? What was said? If you can share that. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I, you know, I want to just say is I'm, I'm aware of the situation of how I became an assistant and um, I'm not numb to that. That's, that's very real and close, close to my heart because I was in that position um, not too long ago. So um I just want to say that, you know, I love Coach Fife and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But um, I, I realized to be in this chair, someone else had to leave the chair. And uh, so that that's close to me and, and how I feel. But um, without getting into crazy details, there was a lot of things happening really, really quickly, um, as it always is this time of year. Uh, the tournament's going on, the coaching carousel spinning, other opportunities are coming about. Um, and uh, had one of those opportunities come about. And I just, you know, called a couple people that um, I'm close within the profession that I really, really look up to. And uh, just to get their advice on, you know, how to handle it with, how do you tell the head coach to where you're currently at, this is going on without, you know, that being an issue. And uh, got some great advice and kind of followed um, what they had mentioned. So I just let Coach Woodson know um, what was going on, and um, he was tremendous with it. Uh, called me shortly after, and uh, told me the news, and it was extremely emotional. Um, I was on the couch um, with holding my daughter in my arms. Mm -hmm. Jess was sitting right to my right, and when he called, I usually don't do it, but I put it on speaker, and uh, <clears throat> he said what he had to say. And by the time he hung up, I mean we were. We were a mess on the couch. <laughs> it was it was a moment that I'll never ever forget. Uh, just to have a a coach believe in me and to give me this opportunity, I, I just I can't speak highly enough about Coach Woodson. First, as a man, and you know he's a damn good coach, but he's a great he's a better man. And uh, I'm excited as hell to work for him. And and uh, I think um, 
I think I'm going to do well. So just got to get, got to get to work. So look, to be in a position of authority and, and leadership, which when you're an assistant coach, that comes with the territory. You know, you've got young men that are looking up to you and that you are responsible for, not just Isla at home, but right. you've got you've got a whole other family. That does take a little bit of, and I don't say this in a negative way, but it does take a little bit of an ego. You do have to have um, self-confidence, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be in that position. I've talked to several coaches, uh, both at Indiana and elsewhere. The leap that you are making is uncommon. Sure. Right. I mean, the path for somebody in your position is typically you go there, you go to maybe a smaller school where you get your first job being on the road. And then you kind of work your way up to a job like Indiana. You've obviously proven yourself at Indiana in a way that makes you uh, able to leap some of those steps. But is there or was there a nervousness at all or like a, wow, am I ready for this? And how do you gin yourself up to be ready for it? It's a great question. And and yeah, I mean, a lot of people can say that, but I have unbelievable confidence in myself. Um, I have a quiet confidence. You know, I I don't, I don't like to have an ego. It's not who I am. Um, I like to try to be as humble as possible. I, I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for a lot of different people helping me both here now and the previous staff and the staff before that. And when I was coached and I think the, the thing that really, really helped me was just I've been here, this, you know, my fifth year and I, I like to be very, very observant and kind of not say a whole lot and kind of just take it all in. And I've been able to learn some very, very valuable lessons on how this place works, um, who are, you know, the people around uh, not only the state, but the school. And I'm just trying to really soak it all in and to just constantly recruit that's the name of the game build relationships um and yeah I, I certainly hear those critics that are saying oh man this guy you know he's never been on the road that's okay um I believe in myself I know I'm a good basketball coach and um you know now it's time for me to to prove that um both on the floor and, and in the recruiting trail and, and I look forward to the challenge ahead so um I hear those things and, and that doesn't bother me at all I'm, I'm ready for the opportunity I wonder with all your new responsibilities, what one are you most looking forward to? Like, oh, I get to do this now. I can't wait to go do this. Yeah, I, th- I think it's two things. Um, I recruit, but I've been recruiting behind the desk. So I've been burning the phone. Um, I love talking with people. I love connecting. I love building relationships. And now I can take it from the phone to, the, to face-to-face and I can go into homes and I can be with the kids that I'm talking to and be with the parents and the people that are around them. So that's definitely the first thing, because that, that is the job is recruiting. And then the second thing is, you know, on the floor, like I, I couldn't do anything um, except just learn, which has been tremendous. I've been learning for nine years. I've learned from Coach Dambrot, who was my college coach, who's a hell of a coach. I've learned from Sean Miller, even when I was at Xavier, uh, before I transferred, I learned from Archie who's a hell of a coach. I've, I've got to learn from Coach Woodson and, and Thad Mott is here. And the names that I've been able to surround myself with have been unbelievable. And when it comes to the on-court stuff, that's, that's an area where I feel very, very comfortable. I played the game. Um, uh, I, I've gone through some of the same things that these players are going through, both socially, academically, the pressures of 
playing, obviously not at this level, but I can relate. And I think that's really, really important with these kids these days is having someone that you can relate with, that you can trust and know that like I have their best interests at mind. Um, so that's how I feel. You know, obviously as fans, we are obsessed with recruiting. We love it. You know, I mean, because the truth is Ward has talked about this before the basketball season, you only get like two hours, 32 times a year, basically, but recruiting you get all day, every day, 365. So we're so focused on it. Right. And, and we hear about building relationships and how important that is. Can you get us into the weeds just a little bit on, especially in your role over the last five years at Indiana, but especially in the last year where you kind of took on more of a role of recruiting, how do you, how, just how do you build relationships? How do you do that behind the desk from the phone over Zoom? How does that work for you? Is Walk us through like a specific thing, like I want to make a connection with this coach. How do yeah. you do that? Yeah, I mean, can't speak too much on it due to NCAA rules, sure. but I can tell you like, it's no different from uh, a young guy in sales. Like you have to pound the phones um, and, and you want to just learn about different AU programs. If there's a, there's a kid that, uh, you know, he's projecting to be a high major, then find out his high school coach, find out the athletic director, call them, build a relationship, find out who is surrounding the kid, get those numbers. When they become eligible to receive phone calls and text messages, start getting to work, calling them, you know, all those types of things. So there's really no like secret sauce. It's just work. Like you just have to figure it out, call, ask questions, be an active listener, um, figure out who's important to the kid, who's around them, who has influence. And there's really no substitute for hard work. You just got to AAU coach, high school coach, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, trainer, whoever it is, that's your job is to, to figure it out. And then to build that relationship, you just got to be consistent with your approach. One follow-up to that, because I think it's such a key phrase that I think you guys that are in the recruiting world, you use this a lot. And I don't think fans... When I heard it for the first time, I was like, I don't even understand that. You talked about surrounding the kid. Mm, yeah. And, and I think that as fans, we're like, look, you, you talk to the kid, you talk to the parents, you talk to the coach. That's basically it. <laughs> but that is clearly not it. Can you give us like on average, and again, we're not going to ask you about any specific kids because we know you can't talk about that, yeah. uh, even though you've been responsible for some specific kids that we can't wait to see. But on a, on a, on a typical kid, how many people around that kid, surrounding that kid, are you maintaining relationships with? I mean, each kid, you know, it's different for each guy. Um, What's the most that you've been involved in? How many people? Like, are we talking, are there some kids that are in like the eight to 10 number? That's a bit high. I, I would say probably between five and seven that direct influence communicate quite, you know, regularly with whoever it is um, that are helping them. I mean, you got to understand there's a lot of, there's a lot of schools that are really good that are, that are all doing the same thing. Right. And if you don't have, <clears throat> if you don't have every base covered, someone's beating you. So like I try to take great pride in being extremely thorough with knowing as much as I possibly can, because in this, in, in this industry, information is king. You got to know what's going on. You got to know the right people to hit. Um, so it, it, it depends. Some are easier than others, but 
it's all getting to but, the same thing. But five to seven, you're maintaining relationships with all five to seven. You're checking in on those people, texts, phone calls with all of them continuously. And that could last a couple of years. Right. Yeah. Yep. Years. So to keep it all organized, because then if that's being expanded out to 10, 15 different kids at any point in time, is it like spreadsheets? Like, how do you keep it all organized in your mind and hit them on a regular basis? That's That's got to be something that you can check, right? That's not just in your head. Yeah, there's there's some systematic things that I've learned along the way from some of the coaches that I've been around um, that if you're not organized, you got zero chance. You got to be prepared. You got to know, you know, names, spellings. I mean, email, text call, you know, switch it up. Don't be the same one trick pony type of guy, hit them different angles. Um, so yeah, there's, there's definitely systems in place where you're circling back. You know, I, I always tell them on the front end, like, Hey, I'm not going to absolutely bombard you, but I'm going to do it in a way that you feel me consistently. Um, so yeah, man, it's each guy does their, does it differently. You know, um, I'm looking forward to continuing how I've done it and do it at a higher level and continue to learn from, from my peers here in the office. And, um, so, yeah, if you could touch on that, mm -hmm. Kenya Hunter, he sure. has, uh, been a stalwart assistant coach at big programs for big coaches around the country. And like you, one of the few people who was retained from yep. the last regime to the next. So just what kind of influence has he been on you personally, uh, and, and, and what have you learned from him on how to be a successful assistant coach? Yeah, great question. And, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but. Uh, Brian, Brian, just that has to end. He gave you one. He, he said you yeah. asked a good question. It was my turn for him to say I asked a good question. So just leave it alone. Just just drop it. It was it was a good question, man. Thank you. Enough. It, it God, hits home. Now it's two. Now it's it two. hits home for me because I've known Kenya for 16 years. He recruited me. When he was an assistant at Xavier. Oh, wow. Back in 2006, 2007, he was my main recruiter to Xavier out of high school. And then he went to Georgetown when I went to Xavier. But I've known Kenya for a really, really long time. And to do what he's done in his career at the highest level is unbelievable. Because as you guys know, this business is high turnover. It is uber competitive especially at the top where at schools like that we're at. And he just, he's one of the most impressive guys that I've ever been around. And I've learned, man, so much. Um, I, I told him the other day, I went and picked him up uh, from the airport when he first got to Indiana uh, with the past staff and we got better right away. As soon as he stepped on campus, we got better. Um, but he, he's a pro's pro, he's prepared, he's polished. He's uber connected. Um, he's played the game, so he knows what he's talking about. There's there's really not a lot of whole holes in his game as far as assistant coach, and I would not be surprised if he's a head coach here uh, sooner rather than later. Is there one thing – obviously, you've known him for a long time. Yeah. But is there something working with him for the last two years? Is there one thing that you kind of, you know, look at him and, and, and either he told you or you witnessed and you're like, oh, I'm going to take that tool – that's a good tool that I'm going to use in my game too. I, I just think it's, it's how he approaches every day. Um, 
he's he's like I said, he's polished. The way he presents himself is is high class. The way he communicates is high class. The way his interactions with the players and how he communicates with everybody, it's it's on point. It's clear. It's concise. You can tell he's been doing it a long time. How important is Spice Bomb as a part of yeah. being assistant? Did, did, he, did he give you some your own Spice Bomb cologne when you got named assistant coach? No Spice Bomb. I've, I've heard of the Spice Bomb. I have no idea what it is. But if, if Kenya's wearing Spice Bomb, he's he got to keep wearing it because things are going well. I mean, he does smell. He's a very good smelling man. He takes care of himself. Yeah, he's, like yeah. I said, polished. So Yeah, polished. I, I, All right. Um, I want to get your, your thoughts on Yah, because I also want to say this, and I don't think this is speaking out of school. I think this just anybody from the outside could could know this. You would not be getting this opportunity if Kenya and Yah did not support it. That's correct. And, um, and they are, we've had conversations with both. They are huge supporters of yours. They've, Kenya's been a huge supporter of yours since he got there. And obviously you've gotten to know Yah over the last year uh, in, a, in a more intimate way. Yeah, they are huge backers of yours. What what is your take on Yah working pretty closely with him for the last now year? Yeah, I've I've worked essentially hand in hand with with Coach Yah, and the thing with him, man, he he's just such a good guy. I mean, he he learned. You know, he always talks about Kenny Payne as as his guy and how he learned, and that's his mentor. And um, you know, Yah really has mentored me this past year with with different things, you know, A to Z, Hey, how to handle this, how to have conversations here, how to, how to work this angle. Um, the, the thing that I'm most impressive with, with Yah is he's a motivator of young guys, the way that he can communicate and interact with the guys on the floor. It's like, okay, this, yeah, this, I better listen to what this dude's saying. He's, mm. he's on, he's on one. Um, I've been so impressed with, with him on the floor with, just his intensity and his how he delivers things. Like he he speaks before the game at the twelve minute under. I wish you guys could be in those huddles. Really? I mean, when he talks in there, my hairs are like boing. Yeah, I mean he's he's good, man. I, I think the other thing with him is another relatable guy. He's played, um, and he's just got a special personality that you know. There's no. There's no question why he, he recruits at the level that he does because you want to talk to him. You want to hang out with him. You want to be around him. He's just a really enjoyable guy. Can you bring us inside a little bit on how the dynamic works with three coaches who are all charged with recruiting? Mm-hmm. How do you split up the responsibilities? How does a specific player come to each coach? Uh, who gets what? Is it territory based? Is it program based? Um, is it year based? Uh, just can you talk to us about? And obviously, you're just starting as a full time assistant there. Right. But right. but how does how do the job responsibilities get split there? Yeah, um, you know, a lot of these guys are kind of spots now now yeah and kenny have been doing it so long that they could get a call from east coast west coast south north midwest that's just how how it can work is the relationships that they've built um but as far as recruiting you know each guy will will kind of have an in with certain people and they'll run with it um and y'all will have something to come to him and he'll go on that and kenny will have something to go for him and he'll run on that and same with me and then we kind of pull them all together and communicate and we're organized and figure out, you know, what we need 
based off what coach wants um, and work collectively as a unit to, to provide the best options for coach. I mean, you basically are bringing him options at each position and it's, it's, he has to say of, okay, I want to, I want this one over that one or, or, you know, however it may be. And that's your job to then step up and, and, and try to get that done. But it's by all means a collective unit, um, you know, bringing their guys in. And, and I, I like to think that no coach has their guy, right? Um, Kenya's been awesome. Yah's been awesome. So like if he, if he has a recruit, um, I will try to hit him. Yah will try to hit him. If there's somebody that I'm looking at, Yah will hit him. Kenya will hit him. So we're kind of working very, very together on it because I've seen other staffs. If you just go one person at one kid, you, you usually lose because another staff is going all in on them. Mm-hmm. And I've learned this past year how important that is and how big that is when you work collectively as a unit on a kid, it speeds things up a lot quicker. Mm. We're looking at a final four with four absolute powerhouses. They've been bringing in top 10 classes for a long, long time. (laughs) Sure. How do you guys punch through and get to that point where instead of four top 75 guys, we got eight. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, and, and, and the reason I say that, Ward, and I, and I know I said that again, <laughs> but it's not necessarily about the rankings. Like, yeah, that, that's good and great for the fans and everything. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it's, it's, about the, it's about the fit and what coach wants. And if you can find those kids that are exactly what he's looking for, whether they're ranked first in the country or outside the top 150, I think that's how you first get a foundation built. And then that allows you to win. And then you sprinkle in the big fish that you're talking about. And then that's how I think you were able to get those guys. Got it. So I, mean, you- I would I would push back that year in and year out, the teams that get the furthest in the tournament and win the whole thing, they are loaded with, you know, there's always the exception to the rule. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess what I'm hearing from you in terms of like, okay, if there's a top 100 players, maybe half, like we don't want them because they're not a good fit. But if you if you start to get a handful of the ones that do uh-huh. fit, success starts to come it breeds more success right and and then you can stack the cabinet with all those or stock the cabinet yes i mean the first thing and what i'm so excited about is this past year was so good like i i understand that we wanted to go further and and win more but think about some of the things that were accomplished in this first year over 20 wins beating purdue for the first time in a long time beating michigan for the first time in a long time illinois advancing to the the weekend up in Indy in the Big Ten tournament, getting to the NCAA tournament, winning a game. The thing that was so important for us is we wanted our guys to experience Selection Sunday. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have that party, to have your name called, the feeling you get? You get on the plane, you get on the bus, there's police escorts. You get on like, one plane, you get off that plane, you get on another plane. Don't <laughs> get me started on that. But you, you guys get what I'm saying. Like, 
the yeah. feeling of March madness. And I felt it myself. Like it's, it's, you work for seven months every single day to get to that tournament. And then once you're in, you just, you never know what can happen. But for our guys to get that first taste, it just, it's going to do so much for our guys next year. So when those close games are there, we do the little things that bring us home rather than not do them and we lose. You understand what I'm saying? Totally. Like, like those, those small things, I think, get corrected because they tasted what it felt like to win. And that's what we needed because it hasn't – like none of our guys in the locker room have ever been to a tournament. Right. And, and for us to punch through and to get that, then, like you're saying, transfers want to come in. Top recruits want to come in. And then you can start building momentum and then win on win on – and then it just builds. I, I do want to ask – because obviously you never stop recruiting. You never stop talking to all those people that surround kids that you're going for. Did the end of this season, winning against Michigan, winning against Illinois, making the tournament, get, beating Wyoming, has there been a tangible impact on the people that you talk to in recruiting circles, that success? Did getting to the tournament give you extra ammunition in conversations that you've had? And, and how has that been? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's all we talk about. That's all we, you know, we talked about, we got to get this team to the tournament. Um, we, we've got to win. We had a great roster this year. Um, and, and those conversations that you're, you're having with the types of guys that Ward's talking about is, ah, you know, Indiana's kind of been here. You know, we'll see. You know, you guys talk, you, know, you, you say this and you want to get there. And then, you know what, as we're going along, and having some success, they're calling back and saying, wow, man, you guys are, you guys are doing it. You guys are, what you said is happening. We see it. You guys are getting better. Um, and those are the types of conversations that you want to be having towards the end of the year with those types of people that are circling back with you saying, okay, you, you guys are, you guys are doing what you said. And that allows you to recruit at a higher level. I've got to say one, the defense has been absolutely remarkable, right? You know, to come in, piece a roster together, keep a bunch of guys, bring in some transfer portal guys, and to get the number one defense in the Big Ten throughout the season, it just gives one so much optimism and faith for the future. And and you talk about that run at the end of the season through the tournaments. I mean, mm-hmm. you've you've been there through this dry spell that we've all gone through together collectively is Hoosier Nation and that was the most fun week 10 days of Indiana basketball for a long long time yes but what we know we all know has been missing that you were really good at in college was shooting (laughs) so now I'd like you to address why we should all feel optimistic about either the development of the shooters on the current team or the guys who are coming in, or obviously you can't talk about specific guys, but how are we going to get our shooting at the level it needs to be to go deeper in the tournament, to finish higher in the Big Ten? Yeah, I think that's kind of been the question that has been what it was for the past five years. You know, why aren't our guys shooting at a higher clip? And and I'm going to throw a number at you here, which is not made up. Um, it was actually an analytics that was sent to us here towards the end of the season. And 
like our offense created the third most wide open threes in the country. And that's, that's factual. That's not me just saying that, but still you got to make them right. I understand that, but that's our job is to just get these guys over the hump and to continue to work with them in the off season to give them that confidence because at Indiana, man, there's a lot of pressure, right? Yeah. And these guys, they're kids, man. They, they feel it. Right. So building them up and just sticking with them. Like when we went over that, that stretch of losing a few games in a row, like you, if you would have came to our practices and I think you guys might've been there for one, like you wouldn't have known that we lost a few in a row. Like our guys were resilient with how they came to work every day and worked. And our coaching staff was unbelievable with being positive and continuing to push them along. Um, so there's optimism because we're going to, we're going to find shooters, right? And we're going to get the guys that are on the roster better because we have to in order to get where we want to go. There is no, we're going to try. Like we have to, that's our job. Uh, I want to say two things. One, just to push back a little on that stat you threw out, because I know that stat and it's real, but some of that stat is because the other teams were like, let Xavier shoot, let Trey Galloway shoot, let race Thompson shoot. So yes, the offense created open looks, but some of it is game planning from the other team where they're like, we want them to shoot threes. We don't want them shooting twos. We don't want them pounding it into trace. So, I mean, it's a little bit of both, isn't it? It Coach? is. It is. But yeah, but you got to understand like our, our offensive attack was, was inside out. Right. So a lot of those things were good basketball plays by our bigs or, or trace or whoever it may be. And I, I understand your point, but I mean, Xavier ended up the season shooting over 38%. If I know he was taken. Um, he was right. terrific, terrific down the stretch. Um, How fun was it to see Xavier start to flourish? Yeah. I mean, it was, Hey, look, if, if, if he doesn't play as well as he did down the stretch, I don't know if we would have had the totally. ending of the season we did. Um, and that's a credit to coach Woodson and our staff for continuing to work with him, to show him film, to, believe in him to entrust him to, Hey man, if you're open, step into it and let it rip, believe in yourself. Um, those are, it was great to see him do that down the stretch. And quite frankly, we, we, we had to have it. For, you for did. So. so here's a question and, and I'm not trying to single somebody out here, but I think it's good as an example. So s there's no doubt that confidence is a huge part of just making buckets. And we've we've talked to players who have told us that they've lost confidence at times and that affected their performance on the court. But there's also mechanics. And let's just take a guy like Trey Galloway. Trey, we love Trey Galloway. We love how he plays. Three point shooting is not a strength for Trey Galloway. And yeah. mechanically, not yet. Not yet. OK, so this is what I want to get into. Mechanically, when you look at Trey's shot, it doesn't look great. Like just and look, this is just, you know, uh, dime store basketball coaching because we don't really know like you guys do but it does not look like the traditional you know elbow in good uh, smooth um arc and and spin on the ball it just doesn't look great but trey galloway's been playing basketball for a long time he comes from a great coaching lineage with his father on somebody like trey this offseason how do you work with him to get better at three-point shooting are you breaking down intricate film of his shot and trying to tweak his mechanics? 
Or, I mean, because I can't imagine with Trey Galloway, it's about repetition. I'm sure he puts up tons of shots. He's a hard worker. How do you get him from it being a liability to it being a strength? Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot of work. And, you know, repetition is the mother of all skill. I know you don't want to hear that, but I disagree with you. Um, you know, when I was a freshman in college, I used to thumb the basketball when I shot. So I would shoot and my left thumb would push it. And it took me 50,000 shots in the off season to correct that. And with, with Trey, I mean, he's a heck of a basketball player. I think the next step for him to be even better, like you're mentioning is for him to be able to shoot the three ball. And I think he will get better at that. I do believe it's going to take a ton of work and repetition. I do think his, his shot is a little flat. I think he reaches out in front more so than, than up top. But again, man, wait, wait, stop there. Stop there. Because that, that you're, you're, you're pretending like we know something about basketball, which is so not true. Uh, when you said he reaches out in front, cause I loved when you said you thumbed the ball. So that was a mechanical thing that you had to work on to fix. Right. You said he reaches out in front instead of over there. Can you explain in more simplistic terms to us what that means exactly? I think he just needs a little bit more leg drive and arc on the basketball. I mean, when you look at his rotation, it's perfect. Okay. All right. So if you're seeing a rotation that's sideways or or knuckleballish, then you got big time issues. Okay. But his ball is, is a nice rotation. It, it, I think he needs a little bit more leg drive and a little bit more arc. And I'm confident that next year he's going to be a better shooter. And it's our, again, our job is to work with him day in and day out to, to help uh, improve that deficiency of his, right? Each player has a deficiency and that's our job as coaches is to identify those and attack them while at the same time, help him with what he does really, really well. Yeah, which is put the ball on the deck, come off ball screens, make winning plays. Um, at the end of the day, Trey Galloway is a winner. And he's he's helped us win a lot of games and he's going to continue to help us win a lot of games. And his next step is, yes, he's got to improve his shot. And I'm, I'm confident that he will. I, I think that. that's a great point of Trey being a winner because I, I, I couldn't say for sure throughout the roster, but. I think he might be the only one that won a state championship. And I I do wonder about that mentality. And and you were talking about it in terms of these guys needing to be a part of a selection Sunday to mm-hmm. win some tournament games, both in the Big Ten and the NCAA, of how, how does a team's collective mentality becoming a, a winning one when right. so few have experienced it. And I'm wondering, like, okay, a, a player like Trey who has that, was born with it, or or it was coached into him from his father, how is Coach Woodson developing a winning mentality, a winning confidence that's required to, to actually get it done when it counts? It's arguably the best thing he does because he's he's won everywhere he's went. And the confidence that he gives these guys day in and day out and the way he talks to them and the way he coaches them. I mean, I would love to play for Coach Woodson. I mean, this guy, he, he, he's a player's coach. You hear it all the time, player's coach. What, what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. It means you want to you go to practice and go to war for this guy because you know that he has your back, not only in basketball, but like in life outside of basketball. When you're done playing – Coach Woodson's going to help you 
get a job or, or get into a profession that you want to do. Like Woody is an unbelievable with our guys. And I think you kind of saw that throughout the year with some of the, the quotes that came out and some of the, the positive things that some of our players said about him. Um, that's why I just think this thing is, is getting ready to take off because, I mean, these guys want to play for, for a guy like Woody. It's just plain and simple. I, I believe in him. I just believe in him so, so much. One of the things that Kenya told us when we first met Kenya and got to talk to him about his kind of approach to recruiting was he said to us, the most important recruiting that you do these days is recruit your own players that you never can stop, especially in the landscape of the transfer portal. And obviously that, that, that world has hit Indiana over the last few years. It hit us again with several players announcing that, that they're going to the transfer portal. Um, how much of your time is spent just kind of developing the relationships with the current players and checking in on them and keeping them surrounded with the, the right people and not, and not forgetting about them once they commit to you and are even playing for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, and I think, uh, you know, Cliff Marshall is, is similar in this aspect is, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm all about relationships with, with our current guys. I think that is the coolest part of the job is, you know, I was those guys 10 years ago. You, you come in and you're looking for a coach to kind of take you under their wing and, and help you, um, help you with all the challenges that this place brings. Um, the basketball aspect, the managing academics, your social life, like you have to have relationship with these players else season's over. I'm out of here. There's gotta be trust of guys on the roster that are going to believe enough in the staff that, Hey, if I honor this process, if I believe in what they're saying and the plan they have for me, I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay here because I know I'm going to be successful. It's just going to be hard. Like nothing in easy or nothing in life is easy as you guys know. Like now we're in a day and age where, Hey, if it doesn't come right to me or I could be starting every game on, on the season, averaging, you know, 30 minutes plus second, the season's over, I'm gone. Like that to me, you know, is a relationship piece that, you know, and, and, and that's, that's what I try to, to take pride in, but you're right. Yeah. You have to spend time with your current guys. You can't forget them once they get here. Right. So if, if we could circle back to coach Woodson for a moment, um, you like everybody else on, on the coaching staff, certainly, and even some of the surrounding support staff, um, and with the previous regime as well, uh, nobody played for Indiana University. Nobody went to Indiana University. And then Coach Woodson comes in, and there had been talk for 20 years. Well, Mike about, Roberts. Mike Roberts. Oh, Mike Roberts. I'm sorry. I forgot about Boss. How can I forget about Boss? Love that guy. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, but let's say, you know, with Coach Woodson coming in and his legendary status as an Indiana University player, what what did you learn uh, about what it means to to coach for Indiana University or when you see him talking to the players about playing for Indiana University that just somebody who hasn't been there, you know, with Coach Miller or or even Yah, you know, he talks about how much reverence and knowledge he had about IU, but it it's just different when you've actually gone through it. Right. So what did you all learn from Coach Woodson that you didn't know before this year? A loaded question. I, I think you know, it's like you said, it's it's just a different feel. 
right? Um, Coach Woodson having been here and, and he had an unbelievable experience as a player. And every like the best thing what he does is when when former guys come back, that he brings them in the office, he brings them in the coaches office he he brings them into practice he lets them talk to the players like he's such a good connector of people and he's so easy to talk with and I mean like Woody was one of the guys that helped build this place to be what it was so when you listen to him and the stories that he tells you I mean the guys just eat it up because they're trying to get back to what he had done it's not like he was a good player and didn't get anything done. Right, like right. he got it done at the highest level. He walked the same exact shoes that these guys are walking in. He's advanced in, in the tournament. He's advanced in the big 10 term. He's, he's had so much success and his experiences here were so good that he wants that for, for our current guys. He wants it so bad for him. He wants them to experience that same thing that changed his life forever. And when, when he's talking and, and teaching and talking about Indiana basketball, what it means to be a Hoosier and what it means to represent this place and the standard is the standard, how can you not listen? All right. You got a lot of shooters in the, on the staff, guys that really filled it up, yourself <laughs> included. You got some shooters like, you know, you do have some shooters on the team too, although we, we know they're not performing the way that we, we all thought they would. You go out on the court, roll the ball out. Brian Walsh against everybody. Are you the best three-point shooter at Indiana University right now? On staff or in the program? I want on staff first. Are you the best on staff? I would like to. I would like to think that I. Yes, I am. Okay. If we're going and, to the. If we're going to the gym right now and having a hundred one-two step shots yeah. from the top of the key, I like to think I'm bringing that home. In the and, program, no chance. Who's number one? When Miller Cop shoots in workouts, it's a joke. Really, it's it's one of the most impressive things that I've I've ever seen. Um, it's like a robot. All it's right, so automatic. Okay, so and we've seen that, by the way, we've seen that too, and and it is special to watch. So with Miller, two two part question: How much is just is it confidence that that kind of intangible thing in the games, or or and how much is it that he's not getting the ball exactly where he needs to get it? How important is the pass mm -hmm. to making a three-point shooter as good as he can be? I mean, the, the pass is everything, right? Um, knowing how he's getting his shots, knowing when he's getting his shots, knowing where on the floor he's getting his shots, all play into making shots. Um, I think there are some times with, with Mill that, um, you know, he might be searching – to try to find one as a, as instead of, I know I'm getting one this way. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So then, I, then I know the pass is coming. Then I know I'm already shooting it before I touch it. Whereas sometimes you got caught in situations where do I shoot or do I pass? Do I shot fake, put it down? You know what I mean? There's a big difference of being in the flow of the game and all right, on this ball screen, a back action, I'm stepping into it and I know it's going up versus X drives the lane, spits it out at a weird angle. I got to catch it over here and, and shoot. Um, that all that all plays into it. Um, so I think it's a combination of both. But as a staff, we had nothing but the utmost confidence in not only Miller, but all of our guys. Like, hey, you, 
you know, you're going to get them. Let's, let's make them, let's take them. Um, so just, I think it's more mental than anything. I really do. And uh, you're constantly being a psychologist as a coach of how can you get over the hump with these guys with, with being confident and, and playing to their max potential. Heading into the off, off season, obviously there's the recruiting aspect, but if you could kind of let us know, all right, from this point forward, how's it kind of laid out over the next few months where like what kind of time can you spend with the players, if any? How's that sort of regulated? And I guess what I want to get to is how are you helping the players get better during the offseason and the limited access right. you have to them? Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of time that we get to be with them. So there'll be uh, our, our spring program will start um, the following week and we'll have four weeks with them until finals week hits. So there'll be a four week time span, we'll, we'll be able to touch them and be with them four days a week on the floor. Um, so that's part one. Um, part two is they'll come back for their eight weeks in summer that we'll get to be with them from all of June and all of July. Um, again, get to be with them pretty much every day. Now there's some time restraints, right? Due to the hours we can spend with them, but Part one is spring here in April coming up. They get a break in May. They come back June and July. You spend eight weeks with them. They get a break again in August. They come back in September, and then you're in the preseason mode where you get to spend time with them again before we, we get cranking again. So you, you get your hands on them quite a bit over the next couple of months. Um, I would imagine that some of that, especially the spring program, is complicated with guys that may be still considering their options. How does that work? Does everybody who hasn't told you definitively that they're entering the transfer portal, do they just go through that process and everybody just knows, look, they may not be on the team next year, but for now we're going to treat them like they are? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, everyone's a part of the team until they're not, right? Right. Um, so the, the thing about basketball is if you don't practice it, you get worse. Right. So even the guys that are you know, not 100% certain on – whether they want to pursue professional opportunities or, or do some other things like the one constant in basketball is you have to just continue to work and get better. Um, so they're constantly in the gym um, getting better because if, if they're not, you're going the other way and um, makes sense. We're not, we can't let that happen. So, so, all right, we've got just a couple minutes left. Let's get off the basketball court. We want to learn about Brian Walsh, the person, when you're not doing basketball. Wait, I, I do have one that, that bridges this gap. About it, oh, I'm it, sure it's going to be great. I know. I know. That's And, and hopefully Brian will tell me that it is. I, I think it's important. It's very important to me personally. How, and how crucial is it to success as a basketball coach, as a father now, as a husband, um, as a human being, how important is it to have great hair? Oh my God. Ask yourself the same question. More. <laughs> yeah, <my laughs> you got great this flow, my brutal. friend. Always, always first impressive. of all, first it's of all, very, very, very well done today. Thank Stop you. Stop it. A new Thank product you. or what? I'm growing it out. I'm growing it out. Yeah, I got yeah. a little product in there for sure, but it's been it's been in an awkward phase. So it's just getting the length to lay down again. Let me let me say this. Dude, Brian, I'm not even not Thank even you. lying. You're always impeccable. You know, I yeah, admire but here's that the difference. mug. Oh, oh betting, hi, Eric. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to reality here. Hang in there, buddy. I, 
Also, let me lift the curtain a little bit. Ward is using every pharmaceutical product that exists to keep that hair fresh. He uses Rogaine, Propecia, all of it. Brian Walsh doesn't need any of that shit. Am I right, Brian? I've been blessed with some good good locks. Thank you, Michael. Hey, look, I didn't need any of that when I was 31 either. Either did I. This is what happens. Don't listen to him, man. It looks good. to you, brother. All right. Now, basketball, you're putting it aside for a little bit. You're home. You and Jess are, are enjoying, you know, your free time. What do you do? What is, do you have any other hobbies? Are you a TV guy, a book guy, a movie guy? Give us something that you, that you get into that's not basketball. I like to think I'm pretty well-rounded outside of hoops. Um, well, with the baby now, really no life right now. But, right, sure. Uh, pre-baby, uh, we had some shows. We like Succession on yes. uh, HBO. Um, we like some shows on Netflix. I love the golf, so there's there's not a whole lot of time to do that. But if I can get out and play nine holes, um, love. Hey, to do now that. that you get to go out on the road, golf could be a good way for. I mean, it's a lot of time, but it's a good relationship builder. It it is, and the the one thing that with golf is if you go play by yourself, which I tend to do, is you can just throw in the AirPods and call people. So wow, nice. You can, you can kind of do both at the same time. Um, I, I do love to read. I try to get up early and read. And the other thing I'm uh, just interested in because a lot of my friends do it is uh, just finance. So I try to try to do you invest. Are you like in the market? Um, I, I do. I do. Nice. Are you into crypto? I'm trying to figure that out, man. Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out. So our, our guys on the team are actually well versed than I am. So I'm trying to trying to learn and read about that. But what do you read? You said you wake up and read. What, what kind of stuff are you reading? Uh, there's there's some finance magazines that I have, and then uh, just a lot of leadership books, biographies, um, stuff of that nature. I was I was gonna ask what is what is a book you would recommend? Like this book really meant something to you, inspired you, gave you knowledge that you use on a daily basis. Um, Ride of a Lifetime by Robert Iger um, was one of my favorite books. Uh, I'm currently reading Good Good to Great right now. Um, love John Maxwell and some of his leadership books. So I'm kind of really all over the map. I don't like nonfiction. I like to read books that I think improve myself. Um, so that's kind of, that's kind of my deal outside hoops. Um, if I could, because you talked about sales at the beginning, there is what, cause I, you know, my business is sales also. Right. And there is a book that, that I swear by, it's written by um, Peter Goober called Tell to Win. Have you hmm. heard of this book? I haven't, but I'll write it down. It is the best sales book that I've ever read. Tell to Win. And the basic premise is sales is all about telling a story. Hmm. That facts, figures, statistics, all that stuff takes a backseat. You want to close a sale you have to tell a story because people connect to stories and that's what they remember. They will not remember the stat. They will not remember the number, but they will remember a story. I believe it. So anyway, that's a good one. Favorite movie of all time. This is going to sound low of me, but dumb and dumber. I love <laughs> dumb and dumber. Yes. <laughs> yes. Love it. Fantastic. Love it. That is my favorite answer we've ever got. That is good. <laughs> is that a movie that you and Jess will watch routinely? Uh, not necessarily, but 
I mean, that is my that is my go to. If I need a, if I need a laugh, um, that is that is, is it. it. Is it like how many lines of that movie are just now a part of your daily life? I could honestly watch the movie and almost recite the whole movie. Um, so any chance I can get to throw one of them, those liners in, you, you better believe I'm doing it. Excellent. If we were interviewing Jess right now on the podcast, and I've had the pleasure of meeting her a few times, got to meet her down in the Bahamas and spend a little time with her. She is just an absolutely like a bright light. She is just sure. awesome. But if I, if we asked her, what is the most annoying thing about your husband? What would she say? I don't know. I don't know. You know what? You may have to ask her because I, I don't know. Maybe I, I'm on my phone 24-7. Yeah. So she's constantly saying, get off your phone. That's a hard thing. I, I run into the same thing with my girlfriend. That is a that is a tough thing, especially when so much of your life is dependent on yeah. that phone. Are you able to shut off? When you go to dinner or something, obviously you're not going to dinner right now with the baby, but are you able I, to shut down? I have a very, very hard time. Yeah. It's always, I got, I have one more call. I, I have to take this. Yeah. You know, so, but she's, man, I hit an absolute grand slam with her. So she's been unbelievable. She's been supportive through the ups and the downs. She's beautiful. She's smart. Um, How did you meet? So, Real quick story. Um, the first, the very first day, so I transferred from Xavier to Akron, right? And in August of 2010, I'm moving into my new apartment. And my dad takes my first load in of like, you know, all my all my stuff. And he comes out and he's like, I'm like, what's up? He's like, your neighbors are very attractive. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, shut up, dad. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm telling you, like, you need to go introduce yourself. And <clears throat> so I get down there and she's my next door neighbor. Wow. Yep. Her, her and um, a couple of her friends. Yeah. They're on a dance you, you team. Didn't, they were. Yeah. You didn't try it with a couple of her friends first and then ended on Jess, right? She was your first choice. Always the first. All Are right. Good, 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 good. <laughs> she, um, she was too good for me in college. I was an idiot. Um, so I had to I had to grow up. We always stayed in touch and it just worked out. But, yeah, I met her on the very first day I transferred college. I, I, I want to. Um, well, wait, let me ask you a couple more frivolous ones and then I got one more real one. But frivolous. What's your favorite food choice in Bloomington? I would say it's got to be it's got to be uptown. Nice. Uptown? Not, yeah. OK, what do you what's your go to food item at uptown? I like their filet. Yeah, I know this is against everything with, with you guys in the Zograbs deal, but a little bit. You know, little my bit. preference. If I like a wing, I'm going to Buffaloes. Sure. If I like a, a different dish. I'll go to Malibu. I mean, there's a lot of good pizza. Places. What about pizza? Oh, Mother Bears. Come on. Okay. Okay. Now, with all this fine dining in Bloomington, you like uh, your fellow coaches seem to be in great shape what how do you how do you keep yourself in shape particularly when you're got to be on the phone all the time i don't think golf is how you're doing it how are you doing it um well i'm a thin guy as it is so if if i eat like crazy and don't do anything i actually lose weight it sounds crazy i, oh, I deal with a lot tough of life tough i deal with life. a lot of i think the stress just evaporates it okay um, but i try to you know stay healthy and in, in mind body and spirit so i'll, I'll try to go downstairs and and get a sweat for 40 minutes, hit some weights. I've been, I've been dealing with the back issue lately. 
which mm. has kind of hampered me a little bit. But uh, yeah, I like to, hey, look, you got to be on the floor. These players got to respect you, right? You still got to be able to do some things. Mm-hmm. So can't look like a goober. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I look like the part. So you can't be falling all over the court like we saw Kenya fall all over the court during <laughs> yeah, the practice. Yeah, yeah you know right, that. Right. Well, um, Kenya's pretty. He's put together pretty good. I know. Too. I know. But he did fall like he an idiot fall. right in the middle of the court. Um, you were on speakerphone with Woody. Woody offers you the job. Tells you he wants you to be assistant coach at Indiana. Your wife is listening to that phone call. You said you were emotional at the end. Yep. What's the first phone call that you make? After that, who do you call to tell? We called her parents, FaceTimed her parents. Um, emotional wreck. Hung up, call my parents. Emotional wreck. And then I, we, just, we just went down our family, like our brothers and sisters. Yeah. What was that like? like? Telling your parents that you were the new assistant coach at Indiana University and all that that entails. Yeah. Uh, what was their reaction? Were they emotional? They were emotional. My, my dad, uh, my dad lost his mind. He looked like he was, he was fist pumping. Like he was Tiger Woods just won the masters. Yes. Uh, he was extremely, <laughs> extremely excited. Uh, just because like, as you guys know, man, you, it's a roller coaster. This, this profession, it's up and down. Um, it's so hard. It's grueling. You, you're away from your family. You put in so many hours and to have some validation that all of the bullshit the hard work and time spent is validated is there's nothing like it. Well, you, you can take uh, just a moment to address Hoosier nation and, mm -hmm. and express, you know, obviously what it means to you, but, but what we should expect from coach Brian Walsh at Indiana university. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be an everyday guy. I'm going to work. I'm going to keep my head down. Um, I know there's a lot that I have to learn and I'm going to make mistakes along the way, but it won't be for a lack of effort. Um, and, and I'm going to be someone that hopefully coach and, and all these guys and the players can count on to be there every single day to help lead us in the, in the right direction and continue to build on what we've done in, in year one. And uh, listen, I, I know the, the severity of, of my job, of my job and the responsibility that I have. And again, I believe in myself and I, I like to think that I'm, I'm good at what I do. And, um, you know, I have to prove myself, right. It's a new challenge. It's a goal that I had from a very small age and, um, I've gotten here now and now it's time for me to, to do the work and to prove to everyone that, uh, that I belong here. Well, Walsh, Ward and I have had the pleasure of getting to know you over the last several years. Uh, love seeing you every time we're in Bloomington. We've had several conversations uh, off of this podcast, uh, right. just kind of talking uh, about various things. And Ward and I have said this since the moment we met you. We have just always been impressed by you, um, impressed you. by the way you carry yourself, by uh, how focused you seem to be, how you represent Indiana University. We've always been super proud that you've been part of it. And to be honest, when the coaching change happened with Archie, we were really worried about losing you and, and did not want that to happen because it's very difficult to find people like you. And then when this opportunity came up, and, and I love what you said before, because look, Ward and I talked about it. The, the whole situation is sad with Dane. It's just sad. I mean, like yeah. you, you want everybody to work out, right? And he's a right. former Hoosier. It's just really sad. But 
life doesn't stop. It just keeps moving forward. And this presented an opportunity. And when your name started becoming bandied about, there was some real excitement, I think, for the people that know you. And I think that if there are critics, it's because they don't know you and you're going to show them. And, and for those of us that do know you a little bit and already know what you've brought to this program and the recruits that you've been involved with already without even being able to go out on the road, the future is so bright and we are just so happy that you are going to be part of Indiana University for the foreseeable future. Thank you, guys. And that is a huge boon, not just for you and your family, but to Indiana and its fans. So we couldn't be happier for you, man. We're celebrating you, along with you. We'll have to have a cigar together in Bloomington next time we uh, were there because the future is really bright with you being part of this team. And, and we're just so excited for you. I appreciate that guys. That, that means a lot. I, I know, I know you guys are so, so, so invested in our program and, you know, it's my goal to help advance this place. And believe me, I, I know I'm not an IU guy or whatnot. I want to win. No, you are I'm an IU guy lead. now, my friend. Absolutely. You are an IU guy Absolutely. now. But, but I, I want to win like there's no tomorrow. I mean, that's, I, I just want to win. And whatever that takes, I'm going to do. And um, I'm going to do it the right way and, and represent Indiana in a very, very uh, first-class manner along the way. So thank you guys for the opportunity, man. Will you let us know however we can help? And I'll button it with this with something I said to some friends of ours on a text chain when your, your promotion was announced. I, I said, I am very bullish on Brian Walsh. And I think in short order, if they're not already, everybody else is going to be too. So congratulations, man. We're so excited to see what the future holds for all of us. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'm, likewise. That, that means a lot, though, Ward. Thank you guys for your support. And um, I can't wait to get, get started here. Do you know? I got to get happy. off here and make some phone calls, man. I know, but, but do you know how happy <laughs> Ward is that he connected the his comment about being bullish to your fondness for finance do you know how happy he is that he made that I'm, connection you know, i'm all about the wall street you know that <laughs> this guy's a true professional man i mean that he had that that clicked somewhere <laughs> around 15 minutes ago and he's been holding it and waiting to just Com dole it out completely organic well done ward <laughs> well done thank you all right I, man go get him thanks a lot guys that was a guest that was a guest. It's just exciting, right? I mean, yeah. he just seems to be about the right things. He just is so thoughtful and caring about it. He knows, you know, he uses words like the severity of his job. <laughs> like he he gets it. You know what I mean? He's been sure. there. Yeah. And, and you know what? He's been there when it's not been good. Mm -hmm. And that's good. Because yeah. he knows the pressure that exists and still wants it. Yeah. And uh, so much of it is mental. I mean, not, not just on three-point shooting, but having the right mental approach to be like, no, no, no. We're not accepting where we've been. We know what this feels like. We don't want to feel like that anymore. And it does feel like he thinks he's got the right footprint now with Yah and Kenya and Woody around him that this program is just ready to take off. That confidence he has in himself, the moment you meet him, that comes across. And that's a very magnetic thing. You you want to be around somebody who has that much swag. And it's not arrogance, it's confidence. And there's it's a very arrogance. big difference. And 
when you you know we know Yah has that, Kenya has that, of course Woody has that, and when you're you're molding these young men, and they're they're looking to you as like how how should I not only play the game of basketball but approach life with this this inner confidence that not only uh, allows you to do your best work, play your best game, but also to attract the kind of talent and people around you to help you get to where you are. Brian said he never could be where he's at without the people who helped him get there. And so I think how do you get a program that has been struggling for years up into the upper echelon where we all want it to be? Well, you know, it's, it's, it seems a bit like a catch-22. How do you get the confidence without the wins? But how do you get the wins without the confidence? Well, these are all guys who have the confidence. They're instilling it in these young guys. And, you know, a lot of them are going to be coming in from high school from winning programs and having great success. So maybe there's a little bit more of a transition with these guys who have been part of the program where it's been struggling. But I think with what the current guys experience this year, this coaching staff, and now you're bringing in new guys from maybe other programs, but particularly from high school, where they were like the best player on their team, if not the best player in their state. Um, we can get this going. We can get this rolling, um, hopefully immediately and forever. It, yeah. It always uh, blows me away when I think about recruiting and get into the weeds when we were talking about how many people you're actually communicating with about one recruit. And as you said, you then just extrapolate that out to the number of kids that you're communicating with. And at any given time, you are having to communicate with like 50 people, mm -hmm. you know, and keep it straight. And, and like you said, keep it organized, but just think about like doing that 50 people that at any one time you need to keep invested while also scouting, working, making sure that you're building relationships with the current team and the current players. Uh, it is it is a grueling job. It is a lot of work. What was that smile? Just about you busting my balls for the bullish callback. Yeah, I mean, you just were so happy. It was good. It was good. But I could just tell that you had something up your sleeve <laughs> that you needed to get out. As Vince McMahon would say, you had to get your shit in. Always, always. Yeah, he always. Um, and then I loved getting into the weeds on Trey Galloway's shot and Miller Cop and the pass and how important that is. And, you know, knowing that you're going to shoot as opposed to searching for a shot and how much that changes the mental approach to each shot. Um, but but I just loved him talking about what needs to happen with Trey's shot. The rotation is great. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not enough arc. So where do we have to start? Leg drive. It needs to be more up than out. I just love that stuff because I, one of the things that annoys me about our fan base, when we don't shoot well, it's like, bring in Tim Buckley. Where's the shot doctor? Like as if it's just that easy to bring in some guy and it fixes it. No, these guys are coaches and they're doing the mechanical things also that, need to happen. But what also you have to realize is it's almost impossible to just say, yo, uh, Trey, your shot's terrible. Uh, we need to just start from day one. Like that doesn't happen. That, that very rarely happens. You can make mechanical tweaks. Like he talked about his thumbs on his shot, but it's not going to look 180 degrees different. It's just going to look enough different to go in, you know, more. Well, and I think you see it more 
in the NBA, and part of that maybe there's just a longer trajectory, but where these guys come in and particularly with, you know, three-pointers, it's like, oh, suddenly Pau Gasol's like a 42% three-point shooter. You know, that that people can develop long-range shooting in their game. We haven't seen much of it, you know, uh, like... Actually, Dane is one of the last great examples of somebody who, you know, just took off his senior year and became a real three-point threat. There just doesn't feel like over the ensuing 20 years, there's been that many players who came in and really became significantly better shooters in their time in Bloomington. You'd say Vic, you'd say Yogi. Vic and Yogi, for sure. You know, but look, those, those guys are pros, right? Those guys are pros. So I'm very interested to see how much of our improvement in shooting comes with guys we got and them going from 33 point, 33% to 38%. How much is it we just got to find guys who have a gift and get them here and well, get them for even sure. better? I, I think for sure you need that. But Xavier is an example. I mean, Xavier, I know he hasn't played for us for the last three years, but look at his percentages. He was a low 30s guy, and this year he was a 38% three-point shooter, and by the end of the year was our best three-point shooter. Yeah, um, with so, a terrible-looking shot. But that that's my point. Like, mm-hmm. you didn't have to break it down and build right. it from the ground up. You had to make certain tweaks to it. And And we are talking about, a game of inches, right? It's not like Trey Galloway's airballing every three he puts up. Right. It's like a few inches off here or there consistently. Well, we're also talking about going from shooting 26% to shooting 33% or shooting 33% or Miller Cop from shooting 36% to shooting 39%. Like when you do the math, it's only a few shots per 50 that gets right. you, you know, there. So these are little tweaks that then need to be just nailed every time and that's what he talked about repetition well and you look at like philip rivers right one of the ugliest looking throws you're ever going to see but also one of the most accurate passers we've seen in 20 years in football so there 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 are different ways to get it done to get a ball to go where you need it to go you just need to make sure you have the right coaches who can say yeah you're thumbing the ball or whatever whatever those expressions were you and I had never heard before that are part of like the daily vernacular of high level basketball coaches and I'm with you I love getting getting into the weeds on that and just hearing how top-level brains really speak and think about these things. I also was moved. I mean, he was emotional to start this interview. Oh, yeah. And and to, you know, not something we thought about much, but that he thought he was out of a job a year yeah. ago and that he thought for his career was being derailed in some way. And, you know, the things we don't think about on situations like that are, you know, Archie got fired and walked away with $10 million. Yeah. You know, he was fine. That money didn't trickle down to the assistants. That money doesn't trickle down to the support staff if they lose their jobs. And without the guy that was your rabbi, if you will, having a job, you're really looking around going, I don't know how I'm going to make a living, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where Walsh was one year ago. And to go from that to then. and, And I will guarantee you that Kenya had a lot to do with him sticking around with Woody because Kenya was such a huge supporter of Walsh and saw his value in the year that he was here with Walsh and, and the Archie staff. Well, to and, go and, from that 
sorry, just to go from that in one year to then getting the biggest break of your professional career and to be at the spot that, you know, is where you want to be is just a remarkable story. And it could not have happened to a better guy. I mean, he's just such a good human. Yeah. And what we can say, not knowing a lot of details uh, uh, or getting into them, but that you had a whole new regime come in last year. And, you know, you've got somebody coming from the NBA. It's his first time running a college program and a lot of new faces, a lot of new names. And to have Kenya and Brian in particular in there, keeping that continuity, keeping the train on the tracks. And, and Benny Sander. Let's give him credit. And too. Benny Sander. Yeah. And and just, you know, to, to keep those those recruitments open and going and the communication going and then all the way through the season is just to have when everybody's kind of figuring out their new jobs their new roles on the fly for somebody like brian to have been sitting back there throughout the whole process and just making sure everybody's at the right place at the right time it was huge for this program to have brian keeping the shit together when everybody else is in in some way scrambling to figure out what to do. And look, we didn't talk about him specifically because we couldn't with Brian because he has not signed a letter of intent yet because he's not of this class. But he got us Gabe Cups. The human and ant. The human ant. And, and we've gotten to know Gabe a little bit, and he's a special guy, mm-hmm. but he is a special player. And I think Gabe is a good example of what Brian was talking about as far as rankings. Gabe was not highly ranked until Indiana started recruiting him hard. And then he committed to Indiana and his ranking shot up, by the way, mm-hmm. which is always funny. But he was in the hundreds, you know, and what yet now? I think 247 has him as like 88, something like that. Okay. But and, and I would imagine that's going to continue to go higher. The guy shot like 45 percent from three, led his team to the state championship game undefeated until the state championship game and dunks on people's heads. Yeah, I mean. And just does not turn the ball over and and has crazy assist numbers like he seems like the perfect point guard. So um, he's just done so much already for Indiana in a, in a role that is more difficult to do significant things. And now he's got a chance to really show his shit. And it's exciting as hell. And I'm just really happy for him on a human level. And the way he said he's excited, you know, one of the two things he's most excited about is getting on the floor and then getting into living rooms. And that's the thing. Anybody listening, anybody out there who has actually had the guy walk up to him and shake his hand, you're like, impressive, dude. Impressive, dude. So it is, you know, uh, I'm sure he's great on the phone, but knowing that he'll be walking into gyms across the Midwest or the country, um, going into living rooms with Indiana somewhere on his shirt, uh, makes me feel really good about our chances of, of of roping some of these young men in. And he loves Dumb and Dumber. I mean, like, I, I'm not going to let that go without pointing out why that's important. Because he's a serious dude. He takes his job really seriously. He's focused. He's determined. He's intense. And he can laugh at a guy shitting his brains out in the toilet, right? <laughs> like, that... But that's important because these people need to be human beings. And and I'm not trying to denigrate Archie here, but part of the problem with Archie was he was so intense. It was hard to find that other side of him. Mm-hmm. And 
And that other side is what people grab onto. It's part of what makes Woody so compelling to people is he's funny. Mm -hmm. He's got this sense of humor to him. He likes to have a good time. He lets people have a good time. You need to be well-rounded. You need to be all of that. And I just love that this is a guy who's as intense and put together as Brian and his favorite movie is Dumb and Dumber. And I know that speaks to your heart directly because you're such a Jim Carrey fan. But I just think it shows... He's a real human being, which is good. Yeah, I don't think I've shared it on the show before, but that my wife Annie had not ever seen Ace Ventura until maybe 10, 12 years ago, well into our our life together and our marriage. And when she watched Ace Ventura, it was actually quite upsetting to her because so much of what she thought was just who I am and how I was born that I just had ripped off so much of my personality from Ace Ventura. It took her a couple of days to recalibrate who she had married. Yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> She's still recalibrating. I mean, it's a daily battle for her. Yeah, it let's is. be it honest. Is. God bless her. Um, all right, man. Well, exciting to have Brian Walsh on the show. Exciting to have Brian Walsh as an assistant coach at Indiana and I just think the future is really bright. So uh, let's see what happens. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but the sometimes, sometimes why. We'll hit you back next week. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. I love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. <laughs>